And First uh, Timothy chapter 1, we'll be reading the first four verses. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace, from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so to do. We're going to look at the third part of the Great Commission this evening, uh, as part of our series, Persuading for the Savior. And the title of the message this evening is this, A Plan for Discipleship. A Plan for Discipleship. Let's pray. Lord, this is a topic that doesn't get preached on much. In fact, uh, in my 35 years of church attendance, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon quite like this one. Uh, but Lord, it is a very important subject. It's a very important topic. And so, help us, Lord... Uh, to consider this part of your commandment to us, to not only tell someone how to go to heaven, but take that new convert, see them into the baptistry pool, and then help them to grow and mature in the Lord. And so, Lord, uh, help us to understand the importance of it, and then maybe pick up some tips on how we can better do it, and then commit to that process. Help us, Lord, uh, uh, our attention uh, to be right on spot, and for our heart to be moved. Holy Spirit of God, work in our midst, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the topic, the topic of the message is, uh, of the series rather, is persuading for the Savior. We have been working all year long toward the two series we're in right now. We started out with uh, 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 plowing the field, preparing the field, and, uh, and then planting the seed, and then protecting the sprout. And uh, all of those series of sermons all year long were meant to get us to the place where we could begin to produce fruit for our Savior. We looked at John 15, and we saw that how if a tree does doesn't bear fruit, it's best that it be torn up and thrown under the feet of men. We saw how Jesus walked up to the fig tree that didn't give him figs, and he condemned it and cursed it, and it withered and died. We talked about how that if we're not bearing fruit for the Savior, then we are but a disappointment to our Savior. God did not give, put us on uh, earth as Christians just to take up a spot and look pretty. And look pretty. A lot of trees look pretty. But the master comes, the husbandman of the garden comes, and he looks for fruit. And Psalm 1 we've looked at all year long, and we, we see that Psalm 1 says that that fruit will come in its time, in its season. And there are there is a season where you are preparing to produce fruit, and then the producing of the fruit takes place. Well, what kind of fruit does a Christian put off? You see, there is a, there are two types of fruits in the Bible. There is the fruit of the Spirit. And we looked at that, we've been looking at that on Sunday mornings in our series, uh, Producing Through the Spirit, where the Spirit of God does the producing in our life. It isn't me trying to love you, it's God loving you through me. 
It isn't me that musters up joy some magical way. No, as I yield and submit to the Spirit of God, He puts a joy in my heart. And that peace and long-suffering and all nine of those fruits come as a result of me doing one simple act. As I yield and submit to the Spirit of God, those fruits begin to come out, uh, some 30-fold, some 50-fold, and some 100-fold. That is the fruit of the Spirit, but that is not the fruit of the Christian. The fruit of the Christian is different than the fruit of the Spirit. You say, well, Pastor, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, or rather, the fruit of the Christian. The fruit of the Christian is laid out for us in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The Bible says, the, tree, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Matthew, run me that water bottle right next to your coat there, if you don't mind. Thank you very much. I'm going to need that here in a moment. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. So, the fruit of a Christian is, excuse me, another Christian. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. With me, if you will. We're all probably familiar with the passage, but just indulge me with me, if you will, and, and turn over there. While you're making your way over there, here are the sermons we've looked at as we've talked about persuading for the Savior. We've looked at bearing the seed, bearing the seed. Uh, we have looked at casting the seed. Uh, we have looked at cultivating the seed. We have looked at reaping the harvest, uh, and then uh, uh, let's see, two, uh, two or three weeks ago, we looked at baptizing my converts, and then the last sermon we looked at in the series was what to do with rotten fruit. And in that sermon, what to do with rotten fruit, we talked about what do you do when you've given some of the gospel over and over and over and over and over again, and they just seem to have shut you out, and you have planted, you have watered, and that fruit has come up, and it's been time to pick, but they have rejected and resisted the Spirit of God. How do you handle that? So we looked at that in that message. You say, okay, pastor, they were uh, saved, they were baptized, now what do I do? Well, that is what we're looking at tonight. Matthew chapter 28 and uh, and verse number 19, uh, we find uh, the Bible tells us, it says, I have it memorized, but I don't want to mess it up. Here we go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them. Look at verse 20. And, and really, this is what we're going to be looking at tonight. Teaching them to observe all things, all things, whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so there is one great commission, one great send. But that, uh, that commission is a three prong, and some could argue a four-prong uh, commission. And so the three I have listed here, they'll come up on the screen one at a time there, teach all nations, teach all nations. Now, um, I imagine, and we give a different account of this in Acts 1, where Jesus stood on the outskirts of town, he's getting ready to sin, and he says, uh, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, and you shall be witnesses unto me unto Jerusalem. And uh, he pointed to the city of Jerusalem, and all of the Jews uh, looked at the people in Jerusalem, they said, we got you. Unto uh, uh, all powers are going to be uh, 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 Jerusalem and Judea. And they said, okay, Lord, we can go to the Jews. And then he said, Samaria. And they said, oh, the Samaritans. You mean the half-breeds? You mean the ones that are half-Gentile dog and half-Jew? And Jesus said, yep, 
I want you to give the gospel to the Samaritans. And then he said, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to take the message of salvation to every kindred and every tribe and every tongue. It doesn't matter if they're the same color of skin you are or they speak the same language you do. If they are a human being and they are walking the planet and they are breathing air, they, their soul is valuable and they need the gospel. Teach all nations. And you know what the disciples would do? They would go and teach all nations. In fact, Fox's Book of Martyr and other historian accounts tell us how many of the disciples were were murdered as they gave the gospel in regions of the world that Jesus never actually touched. Jesus kept his ministry in Israel, but they would go unto the uttermost and they took it serious. What is that phrase, teach all nations? What are we teaching them? We're teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his redemption through those things for mankind. So the Great Commission is a three-prong approach, and it's to teach all nations. The second prong of that is baptize the saved, to baptize the saved. Um, uh, if the independent Baptist world, and I'm speaking as a whole, I'm not speaking directly at this church because I haven't been here except for the last three and a half years. But I'm going to tell you what I've experienced as an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James-only, uh, uh, hell-hating, devil-stomping, snot-slinging Baptist. All right, I'm going to share with you what I've experienced. We're really good at going out on Saturday or Tuesday or Thursday, whichever vis- uh, visitation night is, and giving the gospel. But once they get saved, we're not so good at getting them in there to get baptized. We're really good at walking someone down the Romans road. But then when it's time to get them in the baptistry pool, we almost don't even try. And God says, listen, that is just as much part of the Great Commission as leading someone to Christ. And uh, so we looked at a whole sermon on baptizing my converts. I'm not going to re-preach that tonight. The third uh, 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 prong of this commission is that we, uh, let's see here, that we put it up there for me. Disciple the baptized. Disciple the baptized. Okay. Now someone has been willing to get saved and they've been willing to get baptized. How do we go about discipling them? How do we go about teaching them all things? And um, I don't want to get out too far in front of my skis. In 2020, we're going to introduce some things that will help you have an organized approach to discipleship. Pastor Morales is here, and he has some experience with that. And I've been experimenting with that over the last 12 months. And he and I are collaborating on how we're going to do that. And so come back for Vision uh, Sunday, uh, January 2020. We're going to give you the plan on how we're going to help you disciple. But what I want to do with the message tonight is lay out for you the importance of discipling those who you have led to Christ. It is so very important. Now, uh, you, uh, we started this evening in First Timothy, and uh, we're going to spend most of the rest of the message in the book of First Timothy. Can I tell you what First Timothy is? First Timothy is a book about discipleship. Now, it's a pastoral epistle. I don't want to discount it. Paul was writing to Pastor Timothy. But Paul was writing to the young man he was mentoring. He was discipling. Now, um, if you're taking notes, write this down somewhere on your uh, uh, bullets or on your, uh, your, your uh, half piece of paper there. Ready? Um, everyone needs a Paul. And below that, write, everyone needs a Timothy. Everyone needs a Paul. Everyone needs a Timothy. 
Um, uh, everyone here needs somebody they can be accountable to. Everybody in here needs somebody that, that is mentoring them and discipling them. That's the pastor of the church, the associate pastor of the church, all the way down to the newest Christian uh, in the room. We all need someone who has a better grasp of the Christian life than we do who can help sharpen us. What does the Bible tell us? As iron sharpeneth iron, so a friend sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Someone who can go to look at us and say, I see this double standard in your life. I see this weakness in your life. I see you're failing here and can put their finger up on our nose and say, this needs to improve. And we say, thank you for telling me. Everybody needs a Paul. Everybody needs a Paul. Let me ask you a question tonight. Who is your Paul? Do you have one? Do you have someone that can hold you accountable and can be flat honest with you about where you're struggling in your Christian life? Everybody needs a Paul. Uh, now, below that, I had you write down everybody or everyone needs a Timothy. We all need a Timothy. We need someone that we're mentoring. It's not enough for me to be getting mentored. I need to turn around and mentor someone else. And so, uh, uh, who is your Paul and who is your Timothy? Who is mentoring you and who are you investing in and mentoring? Now, if you're mom and dad here, you ought to be doing that with your kids. You ought to be that with your children. But if your children are grown or your children are pretty well grounded in the truth, listen, it doesn't just have to stop with your children. Add somebody to that and make it your goal to help them grow and go. And so what is 1 Timothy? What is 2 Timothy? What is the book of Titus? There are books where Paul is mentoring someone and bringing them along. And so I want us tonight to forget the fact that Timothy was a pastor, and I want us tonight to look at Timothy as a Christian, a young man who Paul is trying to lead and develop and better. And I want to challenge you this evening, everyone here, if you, re- if you really want to grow, he who does the teaching does the most learning. He who does the teaching does the most learning. When I was at Rosedale Baptist School, uh, I was brought there after I graduated to be a school teacher. And uh, my father hired me. I didn't want to be a school teacher, but there were no, nobody else was lining up to hire me. I just couldn't figure out why. And all these pastors came into the college and, and they were hiring guys left and right. And I was left with my hand up. No one wanted me. So my dad said, well, I'll hire you and you can come back and teach school. And I said, but I don't want to be a teacher. And he said, well... I don't see anyone else looking to hire you. Do you need a job? And I said, okay, I'll take it. And he said, well, what, what do you like to teach? And I said, well, I would like to teach Bible and Bible and Bible. And he said, well, you got to do more to teach Bible. I said, okay, I'll teach history. And he said, okay, you can teach history. And he said, I need you um, also to teach, brace for it, seventh grade math. Oh, there is a purgatory, and it is teaching... Seventh grade math. Now, Brother Scarpetti back here, he didn't just do it two years like I did it. Brother Scarpetti, how many years did you teach inner city public school seventh grade math? And he survived. You want to know why he walks with a limp? Seventh grade math. Um, I actually, um, well, I won't get into that. That's another story for another time. But um, the second year I taught school, my father had moved on, and, and I had a new employer, and uh, uh, Brother Schumann was his name. And Brother Schumann came to me, and he said, I need you to teach physical science. 
And I looked at him and said, can I give you my transcripts from science, from school? You don't want me teaching physical science. And he said, well, look, I don't have anybody else. You're the guy. And I said, I didn't even take physical science in high school. Are you sure you want? You're the guy. And I said, okay. And so I would sit down with my textbook and I would learn what I was going to teach the night before I got up and taught it. And, um, and I put hours and hours and hours. And really, the first half of the book was uh, uh, physics. And the second half of the book was basically uh, entry to physics. And the second half was entry to chemistry. And I remember all of the math involved in that. And I would go to uh, the math teacher at our school, Mrs. Dieter, who's a very bright lady. And I'd say, Mrs. Dieter, help me with this. And this is 20 minutes before school starts. And she's, well, it's this and this. And I'd get up in front of the kids and I'd say, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm struggling here, but here's my best effort. Can I tell you who learned the most that year? I did. Because the kids didn't understand anything I said. That's why I learned the most. No, I learned the most that year. Do you want to know how to be grounded in your faith? Disciple someone else to be grounded in their faith. If you want to know your doctrines, then sit down with someone else and walk through the doctrines with them. Uh, Can I tell you who gets the most out of the, the, the lessons taught in our life groups on Sunday mornings? Those who prepare for them and those who teach them. Nobody got more out of your lesson, uh, you guys, than, than, uh, than you did today. You sat down and you studied and you put it together and someone else may have been blessed by it, but the Lord had to move greatly in your heart. And so do you you have a Timothy. Is there someone you're pouring your life into and looking to help disciple and bring along? Um, I'll share this before we get uh, into the outline here. Um, uh, I was put in charge of the Soul Winners Club in the previous church I was in there, and uh, we had a man by the name of Johnny Miles. He was a he was an auto body mechanic, and Johnny came to me and he said, "I want to learn how to lead somebody to Christ." And I said, "Johnny, you come to the Soul Winners Club." on Wednesday evenings with me, and you can be my soul winning partner on Tuesday evenings, and we'll go out together. And I'm going to tell you, uh, Johnny's a friendly, friendly guy, but Johnny was terrified of even being the silent partner. I mean, standing there while I knocked on someone else's door, just the thought of it, just, I remember we pulled up in front of the house, uh, uh, the street we were going to knock on, and I looked at him and I said, you ready? And he looked at me and said, no. And I said, we got to go. And so I got out of the car and he took a deep breath and he got out and, and he would sort of stand halfway back, uh, down the sidewalk and I'd knock on the door and I said, get up here, Johnny. Well, about seven, eight weeks into that, brother Johnny, he knocked on his first door and, uh, this young man came to the door and I was the silent partner and I stood there and watched Johnny lead his first soul to Christ. You want to know who the most happy person was that night standing there at that door? I'm sure the guy who got saved was thrilled. I'm sure Johnny was thrilled. My goodness, he had to peel me off the carport ceiling. I was walking on cloud nine because someone that I had invested in and trained got to see someone else put his trust in Christ. To this day, uh, rather lead someone to do that. To this day, I'll still get texts from Johnny who's still faithfully going down there, Brother Miles, and, and he'll say, I just want you to know I led someone else to the Lord this week. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for teaching me. It is a joy to be involved in having a Timothy. And I would just challenge you this evening with that. Let's jump into the outline this evening and uh, look at number one, Paul's investment 
into Timothy. Paul's investment into Timothy. Quickly notice letter A. He invested his time. He invested his time. Turn over with me to Acts chapter 16, uh, if you would. Acts chapter 16. Look with me uh, at verse number 1. The Bible says, and I'm going to read quickly here. Then came he to Derby in Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a, a, a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium, uh, how uh, him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they knew all uh, that his father was a Greek. And so here you have young Timothy. He's raised by his mother and his grandmother. They're saintly women. They're godly women. And Timothy is saved, but he's raw. And in comes Paul into his town to preach. And Timothy tells his mom and grandmother, I'm going to go here. Uh, this guy preach. And, and so he goes into Derby and Lystra where Paul is preaching and he sits under him and he goes, this guy is exactly what I've been growing up and learning. And so their hearts become uh, knit together and Timothy desires more to do with Paul. And Paul says, listen, if you're going to be serious about ministry, because your father is a Greek and you're uh, a half Gentile, we're going to need to take you and get you circumcised so that you can minister to those who are Jews, and this isn't a stumbling block. You know, to talk to somebody about such a delicate issue, that's not conversation number one. There was time invested from Paul to Timothy. He, he, he looked him in the eye, and he cared for him. He invested in it. Um, uh, you can write this down, too. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. You, you will get further investing 15 minutes into caring about someone than you will in 50 years getting them to care about you. And I'm going to tell you the number one reason why people can't disciple is because they're too busy talking about themselves. And they can't take enough time to listen to someone else. I'm going to take it a step further. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you struggle with remembering people's names. Can I tell you the number one reason, and for some of you here, there may be a a serious memory issue, but can I tell you the number one reason why most people struggle with names? Because when they ask someone their name, they're not actually listening to the answer. They're not listening. And someone tells you their name, and it it, it goes in one ear and out the other. Now, we have to be gracious to the Moraleses. They have 200 names to try to learn. But I'm going to tell you this, what I know about Pastor Morales is that when he was in his element, and, and he'll get in his element here quickly, but when he was in his element and his class was growing uh, uh, back at the ministry we served in, and he had an English ministry, and then he turned around and do a Spanish ministry within a two-hour window, new people would come in, and he was sharp on those names. You know why? He was paying attention. He was caring for them. He was investing time into that person. Um, when you send somebody a text... And the regular is that they take two days to get back to you. You know, the feeling is I'm not really important to them. They really don't care about me. Uh, now, some of you that are older, I give you a pass because, you know, you're. But look, if you're on your phone all the time and text messages are coming in and you just don't reply, then it's clear you don't care about that person. At least that's how they feel. You need to invest your time. If you're going to make a difference in someone's life, you must first invest your time. Um, I heard someone say that children spell love, T-I-M-E. 
Can I tell you, it's not just children that spell love, T-I-M-E. We all spell love, T-I-M-E. He invested his time. Letter B, he invested his trust. He invests his trust. Let's look at three passages that build on the same thought here. And we'll work left to right in the Bible. Let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 17. It says, For this cause have I sent unto you, speaking of the church of Corinth. Now let me pause here. The church of Corinth here is a disaster. I mean, they are becoming an apostate joke, just a total joke. And Paul has to send one person to try to fix this disaster. Look at the trust he puts in Timothy. Verse 17, for this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. I imagine reports are coming back to Paul about how terrible uh, the church he helped to start was. And he's looking around at all of the members of his team and he's saying, I need to send one of you guys over there to deal with Corinth. And he looks at Timothy and he says, I trust you more than the rest. I'm sending you over there. Turn over with me to Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 19. Again, we're working left to right here. should be right in your Bible. Philippians chapter 2, and look at verse number 19. It says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. And so he was concerned about the church of Philippi. Who did he send to check up on them? He sent Timothy. Look at First uh, Thessalonians chapter number 3. And if you know the story there, First uh, Thessalonians would be to the left of First Timothy, where we were. If you know the story of Thessalonians, Paul came in and I believe he came in with Timothy and he got the church up and going. And in short order, there was a rent mob hired to run them out of town and they were under threat to be killed. And then the leaders of the church were brought up in front and great persecution hit the church right off the bat. And Paul was really concerned about the church. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 3 and look at verse number 2. Or rather back up to verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Here's what I'm getting at uh, this evening is that first Paul invested his time. And when Timothy showed himself worthy of handling more responsibility, then Paul turned around and he invested his trust, his trust. Now, there are a whole lot of people in my uh, uh, 10, 11 years of pastoral work that I have tried to disciple, and uh, I have invested time, and they fell off. They fell off. And uh, they, they were not interested in further discipleship. And when that has happened, I have always first self-evaluated. Are they running from me, or are they running from bearing their cross and becoming like their Savior? But there are occasionally people who you invest in and care for. And you know what they do? They want more. And they want more. And they want more. And they get more faithful. And they get more devoted. They become uh, more dedicated to the cause of Christ. They need you to trust them. Number one, Paul's investment into Timothy. Number two, um, uh, Paul's uh, influence on Timothy. Paul's influence on Timothy. Um, 
Let me give you a definition for leadership here if I can. So I'm giving you a lot more material uh, than what's in your, um, on the back of your, uh, or rather on your bulletin there, your outline there. But uh, you turn it over on the back, you can scribble this wherever you want. And again, there are hundreds of ways that leadership has been defined. I'm not saying this one's the best. This is my personal favorite. I'm not saying it's the best. Um, but for the sake of the message tonight, indulge me here. Leadership is getting others to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Leadership is getting others to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. You're able to bring them to a place where they catch your vision and they get excited about your vision and they go forth to execute your vision. That's leadership. Leadership. You know what Paul was able to get Timothy to do? Paul was able to get Timothy to see the need and get him to desire to accomplish the need and then get him to go forth and act on fulfilling the need. That's leadership. That's leadership. Now, uh, unfortunately, I have seen far too many times in far too many places people who try to lead with the wrong, um, uh, the, the wrong way. Uh, I'll call these poor leadership methods. Poor leadership methods. Now, again, our goal is to disciple people. I hope you're listening this evening. Our goal is to disciple people. And if we're going to disciple people, we need to do it the right way. We don't need to bully them. We don't need to mistreat them. There is a way to invest in someone, and there's a way not to. Let me give you three here. And again, this is not an all-inclusive list, but let me give you three. The first uh, a poor leadership method would be manipulation. Manipulation. Don't be guilty of manipulating people. You know what folks can figure out real quick? That you're being disingenuous. And there are all kinds of ways that we manipulate, uh, but one of them is uh, uh, being flattering. You know what the difference between compliment, uh, complimenting someone and being flattering is? Uh, flattering is when you take a compliment to an extreme that is clearly untrue. And, uh, you know, um, uh, someone has a big nose, and you look at them and say, you know, uh, God just gave you the perfect nose. And they're looking at you and they're going, I know I have a big nose. Why are you lying to me? Like, like, like uh, what, what are you trying to do here? And I'm using an extreme example, okay? But you get what I'm going at here is an over-excessive. It's also when you're flattering someone when you tr- clearly have an ulterior motive. You clearly have something else that you want uh, out of them. And I've seen folks try to manipulate people to get things done. And instead of investing in them, they're trying to take a shortcut to get them to get things done. And I'm going to tell you what this comes down to. We use people to better us, and then we discard them when we're done with them. Well, that's not the way to handle people. We we, we have to care for people. One preacher put it this way. He said, uh, I will not use my people to build my work. I will use my work to build my people. I will not use my work, my, uh, my work, my people to build my work. I will use my work to build my people. This is a great time to insert this here. I say this half a dozen times a year. It's a great time to insert it here. If you're involved in church ministry and you're becoming burnt out in your service to the Lord and you're beginning to have a bad spirit about what you do, you need to stop what you're doing and sit on the pew and let the Lord get your attitude right and then find another area of service where you can serve. We're not here to get you to do something through a wrong spirit. I had a man tell me, one time he said, I hate going to church. He said, when I go to church, I feel like I'm going to work because I don't like what I do. He said, if that's where you're at, you need to come let me know. He said, well, nobody else can do what I do. Well, we'll find somebody or we'll just limp along without. But your spirit matters most. And so manipulation. Another poor leadership method here is guilt tripping. 
guilt tripping. And um, there are all kinds of ways we guilt trip. Uh, we look at someone who um, maybe didn't come to church on Sunday, and um, uh, we send them a text. Where were you? Like, like it's Sunday. Duh, you're supposed to be in church. Well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to quit coming to church. Or we become uh, more sophisticated at it. And uh, we, we guilt trip people. You know, um, you really ought to go out on Tuesday evenings. And you really ought to go share your faith. And if not, you are a terrible Christian. You say, Pastor, have you seen people use these methods? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, look, um, uh, I'm going to get into the right way to do it in a minute. But listen, you cannot, please hear what I'm about to say. You cannot try to do the Holy Spirit's job in someone's life. I can't change you, and you can't change me. I can't change my wife, and I can't change my kids. Now, I can, I can lead them to change, and I can let the Lord change them, but the Lord has to be the one that brings the change. Guilt tripping. Let me give you one more uh, bad method here, and it would be a demanding spirit. A demanding spirit. Now, this is, uh, of the three, this would be the one that I would be tempted with the most. I demand a lot out of myself. Boy, I work hard and I work a lot of hours. And those who um, uh, have been on staff or are on staff or are a deacon, they know. Uh, look, Brother Owens will call me sometimes on a Thursday and say, are you working? And I say, maybe. Go home and be with your family. And uh, he, he has to kind of, uh, I, I demand a lot out of myself. And then I end up turning around and demanding a lot out of other people. And uh, I have to work on this. But people don't like to feel like they're getting squashed and walked on. Now, you have a sentence at the bottom with two blanks. Let me help you uh, fill that in here. Ready? Here it comes. Influence comes from investment. Influence comes from investment. You show me the level that you're investing in someone... I'll show you the level of influence you have with them. Influence comes from investment. If you really want to disciple somebody, then, boy, you better be ready to invest your life into them. I can tell you why we don't disciple. Because we're too busy investing into ourselves and not busy investing in others. We're too busy building our own kingdom and we're not busy building his kingdom. You say, well, pastor, my schedule is hectic and crazy. I get it. I get that life moves fast. But one day you're going to stand in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not going to care how big your house was, how much money you had in the bank, or what clothes you uh, uh, own, what handbag you carry, ladies. He's not going to care about what car you drove. He's going to care about one thing. What did you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what he's going to care about. Who did you tell about the Lord? Did you reach into your pocket? You see that? I got one. Did you get, did you get one of these? And did you hand it out to the people around you? Did you invite them to church? Did you tell them about the Lord? Did you try to get them down the aisle and get them baptized? Did you take them and try to invest in them so that they could grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Are you investing in people? I uh, was in a part of a, uh, a ministry I was a part of in Maryland. I'll just use, uh, I, you know, I'm going to stay away from names. There was a man there who um, uh, uh, wanted very badly to build his own kingdom within the church. 
And I'll, I'll avoid using his name uh, just to, to be kind. But he wanted very badly to build his own kingdom in the church. And he was in charge of uh, there, one of the Sunday school classes. And, and, uh, and boy, he was, so, um, uh, he was so controlling that people either were gravitated to him and, and, and he would uh, have them for a while. Uh, but then they would eventually get tired of him and leave him. Or he would just immediately repel them away. And I remember I went and I sat down in his living room and I was trying to work with him. And help him, and he was just having a hard time understanding why people wouldn't follow him and and, and and grow with him. And I looked at him and I called his name and I said, "You can choose influence or control. Influence or control. God has not called you to control anybody. He's called you to influence them. And influence gets you a whole lot further than control." We have a lot of ground to cover, and I'm going to move quickly through the subpoints here. But let me just say that what, Timoth- what Paul did with Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy is he worked to influence him to do right. That was built on a foundation of investment of years and years and years of pouring his life into Timothy. Paul did not meet Timothy and write the book of 1 Timothy a week or a month or a year later. You understand, Paul had spent years and years of his life loving Timothy and investing in Timothy. And on that foundation, God had him write the book of 1 Timothy. And because of the investment, Timothy took that book very serious. Because he knew that he was cared for. Quickly, let's, let's run through these quickly here. Letter A, notice Paul's explanation of sound doctrine. Paul's explanation of sound doctrine. Um, 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, uh, look there with me. As I beseech thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than that godly edifying which is in faith so do. Letter B, notice Paul's exhortation for supplication. Exhortation for supplication. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplication... Prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may uh, lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. You know what he was pushing Timothy to do here? To grow in his prayer life. In, in, in chapter 1, he's pushing him to be sound in his doctrine. Here, he's exhorting him to supplicate and pray and lead others to do so. Let us see, notice Paul's expectation of spiritual leadership. Paul's expectation of spiritual leadership. Look at chapter 3 verse number 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Look at verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God, uh, not a novice, uh, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so there's an expectation that's put on Timothy. Hey, Timothy, listen, that's great that you want to be a good Christian. It's great that you want to lead others. But if you're going to be a bishop or a pastor, then there are some things that God requires of you that are another tier of... And so here, Paul is laying that groundwork for him. Letter D, notice Paul's encouragement to stand firm. Paul's encouragement to stand firm. Look with me at uh, chapter number 4. 
And look at verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisies, uh, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nursed up in the word of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Here's what Paul is saying to him here. He's saying, look, there's going to be some weird doctrines that you have to deal with out there. By the way, the one in here that might be the weirdest is found in verse 3, forbidding to marry. Well, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Procreation happens inside the bonds of marriage. And so if we're telling people not to get married, then doesn't that mean planet Earth is going to cease to have humans on it? You see how whacked out, how, how, how kooky the doctrines had gotten? And Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you're going to have all kinds of weird doctrines flying around that you have to deal with. And I'm encouraging you to stand up and speak, thus saith the Lord, and stand firm on solid doctrine. His influence on Timothy. Notice letter, uh, letter next, uh, Paul's ethics for church administration. Letter E, Paul's ethics for church administration. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed. And then he goes on and he lays out the rules on who is a qualified widow to receive help and who isn't. And uh, that's not the purpose of the Bible, uh, of, of the message this evening. But the, the, the point here is that Paul is laying out for Timothy the ethics for church administration. Look at letter F. Notice Paul's enemies that snare and destroy. Paul's enemies that snare and destroy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6. These verses get preached on a lot, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8, and having food and raiment, let us uh, be therewith content. But they uh, that which be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many fo- foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Look at verse 10, for the love of money, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the Root of all evil. Look at verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold a lay hold on eternal life. Wherefore, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so here he's saying there are enemies out there that will snare and destroy you, and you need to be aware of these things. Here's what I'm trying to get at here is that Paul took the time to give. Timothy well-rounded advice so that he could be successful in his, uh, not only as a pastor, but as a Christian. Paul was there to guide Timothy through the process. And you know why Timothy took First Timothy, the book of First Timothy, so uh, why he held to it so strongly? Because Paul had invested in Timothy. Paul had invested in Timothy. I just want to ask you tonight, we're almost done with the message, but I want to ask you this question tonight. Who are you investing in the way Paul invested into Timothy? Is there someone that you are investing your life in? You know, it's not just enough. I want you to hear this. It's not just enough to show up to church once a week and punch someone on the arm and say, I prayed for you this week. 
No, 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 no. If you're going to invest in somebody, boy, there needs to be meetings outside of church where you and that person at the least have a phone call or exchange text messages and you, 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 you find out about who they are and, and how they're doing and they get to know you and you get to know them outside of the walls of the property that belongs to the church family of White Oak Baptist Church. We must invest if we want to influence. Lastly, number three, notice Paul's involvement throughout Timothy's life. Now, this is really neat, and uh, to give um, uh, full credit here, the, the alliteration for A, B, and C, uh, I did not come up with this on my own. Um, I was doing some uh, reading and study on Paul and Timothy, and I came across this on, online somewhere, and so um, I want to give credit there. I don't remember who it was, but I got this uh, elsewhere. Uh, but look at the progression here as Timothy grows in the Lord. Letter A, notice parenthood. Parenthood. By the way, Brother, brother uh, Joe, I believe I gave you the wrong word for letter C, so wait till I say it, then you can fix it and then put it up. Amen. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, look, look at verse number 2. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, my own son in the faith. How intimate was Paul's relationship with Timothy? It was almost as though Timothy was his child. He called him his son. He said, Timothy, your earthly father is, is, uh, 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 is, is not a believer. And to use the biblical word, he's an infidel or a non-believer. And so I'm going to be the spiritual father you never had. And I'm going to invest in you as though you were my own son. But you see that the relationship left parenthood and went to letter B, pace setting. Pace setting. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, uh, in this book, Paul's getting ready to go on to glory, and uh, uh, they tell us that this would be the last book that uh, Paul would write that would be put in the Bible. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Look here. It says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Look, what is he saying here? You can keep reading. The list continues in verse 11. He's saying that, listen, as I have ran my race... As I have run my course, you have come alongside of me and you have ran it step for step, pace for pace. You have run it with me. He's saying, Timothy, I'm going to fall off and I'm going on to glory for me to live as Christ but to die as gain. My time of death is approaching. You have run along my side and the pace has been set. After I'm gone, you keep running that pace. You keep running that pace. Now, the long-term plan uh, for my tenure here as pastor of White Oak Baptist Church would be for us to plant several other churches in New England. There may be a day where this church splinters, uh, years down the road from now splinters, or for some reason the light grows dim and the candlestick is removed as is described in Revelation. But I hope that our church will live on in the planting of other churches. How about you, Christian? The day is going to come where your light grows dim. And you pass on to glory. And you're no longer here to make a difference. Are you going to have helped someone else set the pace for running the Christian life and bearing their cross? Are there, are they going to, are you going to live on through them? Pace setting. Notice letter C, partnering. Uh, partnering. Look at Romans chapter 16 and verse 21. We'll finish with this. Uh, if you don't mind, turn over to Romans chapter 16. And verse number 21. 
And I believe that as Timothy read these words, his heart must have swollen with a joy that he had arrived at a level where Paul would look at him and not say, my son, and not say, run the race with me, but look at the progression here. Verse 21, Timotheus, my, look here, my work fellow, my work fellow. You know what he's saying? Timothy is my equal. Timothy is my peer. Boy, he was my son, and he, he needed me to teach him doctrine, and, and, and he needed me to help set the pace for him. And, and But now I look at him, and he has arrived at the same level I am. Now, the goal is not to compare ourselves among ourselves, but the goal is to see others mature in the Lord to a place where they don't need us holding their hand or spoon-feeding them truth for the, them to get along. Boy, they're able to run on their own. I look across the auditorium right now, and I see those that Pastor Brown and Pastor Peslak invested their lives into. And those two men are not part of this ministry anymore. And uh, their, their Christian race is being run in another place. But men and women sitting in this room, he parented you in the Lord. They pace set for you. And now they look at you as a partner in the gospel. Hey, that was your Paul and you were their Timothy. Now it's your turn to turn around and get a Timothy and you get to do it too. Boy, in 2020, our church is going to launch into an organized discipleship Program, And we're going to be looking for people who can sit across one-on-one from someone else and work through some curriculum with them and help mentor them and disciple them and challenge them to bear their cross. Are you up for the challenge? Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? Are you investing? Are you influencing? Are you involved? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, I pray that you would help us to look deep inside of our heart and ask ourselves this question, who am I investing in for the future? Who am I training for the eternal riches of heaven? Who am I making an eternal difference in so they can make an eternal difference in someone else? May we not be so wrapped up in ourselves and in building our own kingdom that we forget the Great Commission that you have given us. As we have looked at this series of persuading or persuading for the Savior, may we be Christians who bear great fruit on our life as we invest in others. Help us, Lord, to uh, uh, take what we've heard and be challenged by it. And then, Lord, to leave uh, with a mentality change or a mentality improvement to care for others. In Jesus' name.